Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. This morning we'll continue our journey through the book of Romans together. We're going to begin Romans chapter 4 in just a moment. So... Our key verses in Romans have been Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Amen. We have talked about, um, we've spent a long time talking about God's wrath and judgment and is God just and how will he judge and how does God execute justice? And we talked about the law and is, if, the law, uh, if the law makes one aware of one's sinfulness, is the law good or bad? And we say, well, the law is good because it makes one aware of his or her sinfulness. Therefore, it is making us aware, you, me, of our need for God. And is God partial? Does God judge everyone the same? And we said, is God going to judge the Israelites and the Jews the same as the Gentiles? And we said, absolutely, that he will. That God is not partial, but he is a fair God, and he is a just God, and he is a holy God. We also said uh, that all the world is guilty before God, right? Romans 3.23, last week we moved towards this pinnacle after several weeks of hearing about God judging all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Um, It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we turn the corner and we hear being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So that God made a way through Jesus Christ for us, for our sins to be forgiven. Remember we said God justifies the ungodly. There's nothing that you can do or I can do, but God is justifying and making people righteous through salvation. So, So today we're going to talk about believing God for the impossible in Romans chapter 4. Believing God for the impossible. Think about, has there ever been anything that you said or you saw and you said, oh, that's just impossible? Or is there something in your life you say, you know what, this seems impossible, but I want to do this. Or uh, for many of us, uh, for me, many, many years ago, said, could I ever stop drinking and living in that lifestyle of addiction? I wanted to believe God for the impossible. We use that phrase because we say nothing is impossible with God. Amen. But so um, this getting through my education and college, believing God for the impossible. Some of you might be saying amen. Or Um, acquiring or getting that job that will allow me to make a living to take care of myself. Um, Believing God for the impossible. Um, That perfect mate, that person that you could spend the rest of your life with if you're not already doing that. 
believing God for the impossible. It may seem a long way off, or it may seem like you'll not reach that goal. Um, and here, this morning, we're going to hear about a guy named Abraham who we're going to, who we're going to see really believed God for something that really looked impossible. Okay? Believing God for the impossible. We're going to see here today God giving. This is about God. It's not about us. So often, and preachers make these mistakes uh, week in and week out. We do. We make this about us, and it's about God. God giving righteousness. God justifying the ungodly. God giving covenant relationship. And then we're going to see how God does that in the life of Abraham. Because remember, Abraham is our case study. Is a man justified by his works or by faith? Romans chapter 4, I'll read the first eight verses before we continue. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is a man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So Paul even brings David in in the latter part here as an example. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 15, for most of you, you are familiar with what is going on in Genesis chapter 15. But God has already called Abraham out of the land of Ur. He said, Abraham, leave your family, go. I'm going to take you somewhere. And by the way, I'm not telling you where yet. And I want you to listen to me. Abraham obeyed God and went. Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. Um, now we get to Genesis chapter 15. God repeats the promise that he makes to Abraham that he will make him a great nation, that he will give him a land, and that his descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the beach or the stars in the sky. There's one problem here, though, for Abraham. Abraham is almost 100 years old, and he has no children. And God's telling Abraham about his descendants. Abraham's wife, Sarah, she's a youngin. She's only about 90 years old. And they don't have any children. And in Genesis chapter 15, God says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That's one of his servants was going to inherit all of his wealth. Um, and Abram said, since you have given me no offspring, 
No one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now here's the key verse on which we really um, drill down on in Romans and in our lives um, for our salvation and for application here. Then he, being Abraham, then he believed in the Lord and he, being God, God reckoned it to him as righteousness. God, Abraham believed God. Abraham put his faith in God for the impossible. And God reckoned that to him as righteousness. Listen, dude was a hundred years old. His wife was 90. I'm not going to make jokes about our senior adult friends because I'm way, I'm way too close. I'm way too close. We're getting there. But let's just, I won't use words like dusty and look. Abraham believed God for the impossible. Look, you want to talk about the impossible. Let's talk about some impossible stuff, okay? Let's talk about some impossible stuff. Did, what would happen if you read in the paper tomorrow that a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife had their, had their first child, had a baby? Well, you'd be saying, oh, I don't believe that. you say, oh, that's some fake news, right? you say, oh, is that on Facebook or something? That can't be real, right? Listen. This is what we're talking about, believing God for the impossible. Now, we're going to be, and by the way, right, you know what happened, right? Sarah kind of laughed, she, literally, she didn't kind of, she laughed. The girl laughed when she heard Abram talking about having, it. She, he, he, she thought, no way, this is not going to happen, right? Then she got pregnant. Then they had this baby named Isaac, and then in, Isaac had 12 children who became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then this great nation was born out of Abraham and Sarah's baby. The impossible thing that God did for Abraham in bringing salvation. Watch this. Remember, we talk about this all the time. Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham, and you will be a blessing to the entire world. And the fulfillment of that blessing was Abraham's, wow, I'm 14, 21, 28 generations later? 28 generations later, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So you see how God does the impossible? How God chooses to save his people. So what we see here, we're talking about God giving righteousness. Because we say in um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. That's what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 4. Because, remember we ended chapter 3 and Paul asked the question, Well, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Not of works, but by a law of faith. Well, is God the God of the Jews only? Next question there at the end of three. No, 
Is he the God of the Gentiles also? Yes. And then God, indeed, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. So he makes that point in chapter 3, and he's going to go into great detail about that in chapter 4. So here we have Abraham, and verse 3 quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or credited to him as righteousness. You say, Pastor, is it that simple? Yes, it is. Well, what does believing God mean? So we talked about that last week, and we're going to talk about it again. We're justified as a gift by his grace. God chooses you through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God buys us back through the blood of Jesus. How? Because he displayed him publicly as a propitiation. Remember that word from last week? That mercy seat where the blood was applied? In the blood through faith. God demonstrated his righteousness when he passed over the sins previously committed. Listen, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Our redemption, God buys us back. Jesus is our Savior. Is it that? Yes. We confess our sins, and we're going to talk about that because, and the second point today is, so we say God giving righteousness, and then Look at verse 4, though. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. So if I work for a person and I earn a paycheck, they, that's, they owe me that money. They're not giving me anything. Through some arrangement of employment, I worked and I get paid. I logged hours. I provided a service. I did something. And I am expecting to be paid because I earned it. And then when I get that money, technically, their commitment to me is over, right? Now, I know we have jobs now. We go to them every day. We get paid every week or every other week or whatever. And, and so there's this, on, this idea of an ongoing commitment. But, but generally speaking, the employer has an agreement with you. And you earn, you work hours, you provide a service, you fulfill a contract, and you get paid. Well, you earned it. That's done. It's temporary. It's temporary. So, do we earn? Is there any way? And here's what Romans chapter, end of 1, 2, and 3, the point that Paul is making. We can work, work, and work. The Israelites... They wanted to earn God's favor. They lost track at times of the fact that they were made righteous by faith and not by the works of the law. The Ten Commandments, and we're learning in Romans, the Ten Commandments, the books of the law, they existed to make one aware of one's sinfulness. Is the law evil? Oh, no, the law is good because it makes us aware of our sinfulness. You see, so many say... I'm going to obey the law. I'm going to be a good person. Hey, pastor, I'm going to come to church when I get myself together. No, because you'll never, you won't ever come. Because you can't get yourself together. God's the only one who can get you to. Jesus is the only one who can get you, get me together. And so we learn then that being a good Jew or a good religious person or a good Baptist or a good Methodist or a good Catholic, whatever the case may be, 
that will not get you to heaven. It is righteousness graciously given by God to you. And that righteousness is only, the gift is only, or it is Jesus Christ. So then, I can't earn my salvation. Is work a good thing? Heck yeah, we got to get paid, got to live, got to eat. Bible says if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. Uh, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes says that um, by the work of a man's hands, he'll find joy in life. Uh, we do find purpose in our work. But regarding our salvation, Paul is making it very clear that unlike a job, you cannot, I cannot earn God's favor. I can't do enough good things to outweigh the bad things and then God just overlooks them. He can't because he's a holy God and a just God. Remember, we said that God, because he's holy and just, has to punish sin. And then we said this idea of being justified, being made right with God. Jesus, remember when we went to court, we were all guilty because the Bible said that, not me. We all went to court and we were on trial. We were all found guilty. And at our sentencing, Jesus stepped in and took our punishment and took our place. So Jesus took your place and you went home that I went home that that's our salvation. That is God's grace. So then um, working, working cannot produce righteousness. And then we see very clearly God justifies the ungodly. You know, I don't think, none of us likes to think of ourselves as an ungodly person. Um, but separated from Jesus Christ, that is who we are prior to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, even as a Christian, I can do ungodly things living in this flesh. I did some last week. Maybe I did this morning, I'm trying to think. <laughs> but, but because I live in this flesh, I am still capable of that. But because God justified me, because of Jesus, God sees me, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, as the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because he's seeing you through your Savior who saved you. So then, it's, I can't earn God's favor. It is a gift. Abraham and Sarah, they must have looked at each other and said, what in the world is God talking? You know, not everything that people said is in the Bible, right? What in the world is God talking about? Think about it. She woke up one day, 90, 90 years old, and figured out she was pregnant. Said, Abraham, go get, me, uh, go get me a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. He said, what's wrong with you, girl? She said, I don't know. And give me a pizza, too. What in the world is God doing? What is that impossible thing? And, and, and I don't... We're talking about salvation, but you know what? God is also the God who is able to give you and me victory in our lives. And he can do the impossible. And I want to encourage you that for whatever that might be in your life today, believe God for the impossible. According to his will and in his timing, and in your relationship with God as you work, as you, as you grow in your relationship, but, but believe God for the impossible. And then we see here, now, if Abraham and Sarah's um, situation isn't enough, Paul says in Romans, just as David also speaks of the blessing, he quotes a portion 
a verse of Psalm 32, and I think it bears, um, I think it bears our, our, our attention today. Because what we're going to see here is God giving forgiveness. In this process of redemption, when God buys us back, if anybody knew about forgiveness, David did, amen? And we talk about him like a thug, and I had a professor in Bible college that called David a thug. He was also God. Man, God said, you know, he was a, he was a friend of God. He walked with God. And yet one of my professors called David a thug. And I was like, oh, wow, let's hear some more about this. You know, the man who um, basically took advantage of another man's wife. And then when he got her pregnant, had the man put up in the front of the battle so he would be killed. So basically had him conspired to murder someone, took the man's wife, had a baby with her and acted like he didn't do anything wrong. Right. That guy. But listen, he knew the forgiveness of God. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The beauty and the richness of poetry, how one line builds and expands upon the previous line. So you get the, this it's, it fills in the picture. How blessed is the man whose sin transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not hold him accountable. That's what that means for his sin and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to what David said. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Lord, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality, my strength, my liveliness was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Unconfessed sin in the life of a believer and the conviction of the Holy Spirit will make you feel just like David. Your body will be heavy. You won't feel good. You'll be depressed. You'll just be groaning all day. You'll be in a foul mood and you'll share it with others. Well, maybe you don't. I do. And he said, listen, literally my strength, why? Because it's a God's hand was heavy. God was convicting him of his sinfulness. And then listen, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, look, I, I'm not going to read the rest of that. And it's not very long. Good a follow-up to today's sermon. Go home and read this poetry in Psalm 32 and, and just kind of feel that forgiveness. And maybe you'll even pray it like I did. Um, I'm not saying you have unconfessed sin in your life. I'm just saying the beauty there of understanding God's forgiveness uh, is rich and encouraging. And we sang the song and Morgan led us, built my life and built my life on what? The foundation of God's love. But we're also, we're, as we build on that foundation, that foundation of love begins and ends with Jesus Christ. So, and I thought while we were singing that song, am I building my life on the truth of who Jesus Christ is? Am I, and is that coming out of me in my trust and my faith and my behavior 
Is that coming out of me? Am I really living out? Am I really living out this faith that in Jesus that I say that I have? So, so we see God giving righteousness. Um, we see how God is justifying the ungodly. He, Abraham was justified by faith. David confessed his sins to the Lord because he knew that God would forgive him. And then we're going to see covenant relationship with God. Covenant relationship with God. Uh, in verse, verse 9 and following in the chapter, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we see, we're going to see in verse 13 that this covenant relationship with God is based on faith. And that it's God's grace that God gives hope where maybe there was not hope before. And I will read that verse, verse 18. And hope against hope he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. The hundred-year-old man was hoping against hope. This idea of God's going to do what he said he's going to do. The old, the senior adult man was <laughs> believing God for the impossible. He was hoping against hope that God would come through. Now, it wasn't that he doubted. He believed God is going to come through. And then we'll see this idea of upside-down faith, growing in faith in verse 19 and believing God's promise. Verses 23 and through 25 in the chapter close out with faith in Jesus Christ, talking about our salvation. But what do we see here? Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or his descendants, or to his descendants, that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So what happens? In verses 9 through 12, we're talking about the fact that Abraham is the blessing of salvation for the circumcised or the uncircumcised. Remember, we all know what that means, so we're not going to talk about it. If we went back to Genesis and took a look, Genesis 15, 6, when Abraham was saved, he was uncircumcised. That was the beginning of the covenant relationship. And then he was circumcised, and then he said, as a sign of the covenant, you know, all males of uh, all the following generations would be circumcised as a sign of the covenant relationship. And then Paul says, so, so Abraham is the father of faith to the uncircumcised and to the circumcised. Remember, there's a theme here in the book. Did, did, is Jesus just the Savior? Is God just going to save Jews or is he going to save Gentiles? If Abraham's going to bless all the families of the world, that means us too, we Gentiles. And Paul's making that case again, saying... Abraham was uncircumcised when he entered into that covenant relationship with God. So certainly, further proof, God is going to uh, send the Savior, which he did do, for the Gentiles and for the Jews. And so what we see here is, in verse 13, the promise to Abraham, this idea, this idea of salvation, of being righteous before God, it's through faith and it'll never be by works. And it's the same for you and me. And we should rejoice in that, amen? God takes the burden. Jesus took the burden when he went on the cross. 
And, and then he conquered sin when he died and he conquered death when he rose from the dead and he did it on your behalf. So you see this working out. It's a faith thing. It's not a works thing. It's a faith thing. So am I believing God for my salvation? Am I believing God through Jesus Christ uh, uh, for my salvation? Am I believing God for the impossible? So we go on and we see again in verses 14 and 15, Paul continues to say that you can't earn it. For the law, verse 15, the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there's also no violation. So you see, the law simply makes us aware of our sinfulness. Now, of course, in the laws in the state of Maryland and the laws in the United States of America, if you don't obey them, some of them, you know, punishment can be quite severe, right? Amen? Yeah, some of us have experienced that. But, but in all seriousness, but you know what? But you know what? God is a God of forgiveness, and, and, God, is good, and God has done the impossible in some of our lives as well. Amen? But we see here, though, it's a law, the law has a purpose. And again, it's God's grace. Listen, the beauty of God's grace in verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, um, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So the Jews always said, Abraham is our father. I thought about asking Morgan to sing the kid's song. Y'all ever sing Father Abraham growing up? Had many sons? No? Oh, wow. Well, you don't want me. After, <laughs> after church. After church. After, yeah. Father Abraham. Yeah, we could talk about that. And that it's a, so we see in verse 16 that this, if, I, if I'm believing God for the impossible, it's that gift of grace where it begins in verse 16. It's not about the law. It's about God's grace. Verse 18 in hope against hope, he believed. Abraham said, this is crazy. I can't understand it, but I'm going to believe God. You know, a friend of mine was sharing with Diane and me Friday night some of the impossible circumstances in which he found himself in his life. And he did some things totally contrary to the worldly system in which he lived. He, he lived, he, he was incarcerated. And, but he had surrendered his life to Jesus. And so God saw a, a situation of what happened while he was inside. And God would say, no, you can't respond the way these guys respond. You have to respond this way. And he said, Charlie, it was crazy. I knew, I knew what could happen if I didn't respond the way the culture in there said I should respond. God told me to do something different my friend had to believe God for the impossible and do something crazy. I mean, crazy, twice. And you know what God did? God came through and lifted him up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Even in incarceration, God lifted my friend up as a person of integrity. Why? Because he did something. He responded to sinfulness God's way instead of the the world's way, the very less attractive way that one would respond in those situations. And you know what he did? He hoped against hope because he said, this could go really badly. He said, but God told me to do this. Amen. Amen. He believed God for the impossible. 
in a tough situation, by the way. Verse 19. Here, I love this. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. This is Abraham, y'all. Now, about as good as dead since he was a hundred years old. I didn't say it, the Bible did. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Lord, have mercy. I'm not even commenting on that. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham believed God for the impossible. He hoped against hope. This is good stuff here. And then he believed God and he grew strong in his faith. If you want to, if you want to grow strong in your faith, believe God for the impossible, but then you and I, we must go out and act accordingly. Now, our acting does not save us. But if I say I believe God for the impossible, then I need to act accordingly. I'm, I need to not waver. It said here, Abraham looked at himself and said, oh my. And yet God said, I'm going to have a baby. And this baby is going to be, you know, a great person in history, right? He's going to be um, father of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And what happened here? It says, without becoming weak in faith. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. There have been some circumstances in my life the last year that I felt like there's a lot of days I woke up and said, I feel like my faith is weak. I feel like I'm not believing God for the impossible today. I need to hear this. So what did Abraham do? He believed God. He hoped against hope. And he grew strong in his faith. So this gift, this grace of God, this, this righteousness all comes because of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about our salvation here. But Abraham grew strong in his faith. He hoped against hope. He believed God for the impossible. And then listen to the end of the chapter. Verse 22, you know how many times this chapter, three or four times, it repeats this verse. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Not for his sake only um, was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also. To whom it will be credited, you and me, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Amen. God raised Jesus from the dead. And that same righteousness that was credited to Abraham, that covenant relationship that he entered into, is for you too. Amen. And it will be credited to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who has, is a believer choosing to believe. He who was delivered over, last verse of the chapter, because of our transgressions, and was raised because of our justification. Amen? What a way to end the chapter in triumph, right? We end the chapter four all about Abraham. The song stuck in my head now. I should have never brought it up. All about Abraham. It ends in this triumph that he who was delivered over because of our transgressions. Remember what David talked about in Psalm 32? Jesus was delivered over, propitiation, hung on the cross, and was raised because of our justification. God 
justifies believers through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, you and I should be celebrating today, remembering, glorifying God, growing strong in our faith, believing God for the impossible because he saved us. Amen. But you know what? He wants to save others too. And that's why we're here. He wants to save people in our community. He wants to save people on Greenmount Avenue. He wants to save people in the city of Baltimore. And if you hear, and today we have heard a message of salvation. And if you said, wow, Charlie, I don't know. I don't know if I understand this, or I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe today should be that day. Maybe we should pray together and talk about it. Or if you have some questions, um, come and ask. And I would love to continue this conversation. But I would encourage you, believers, followers of Jesus, how will you grow in your faith this week? What will you hope against hope for, believing God for the impossible this week? Or maybe God's calling you to encourage someone else with this message. Or maybe like myself, Psalm 32 will compel you to cry out and confess your sins to God and allow God to, to take that conviction. If you're a believer and you're living in sin, man, God's going to convict you. He's not going to let you be happy until you confess that. And I just say that sometimes. A preacher used to say that and I'd be like, dang, I thought I was going to get out of church without hearing about conviction. No, because I confessed my sins and the burden was up off of me because Jesus already died for those sins. All right, I'll settle down now. But chapter 4 ends well. Um, Abraham, Abraham is our, one of our fathers in the faith, if you will. Um, but remember, but remember, Abraham, it was credited to him. His righteousness was credited to him. That covenant relationship was that gift of God then it was God's grace. Same for you and me. Same for you and me. The law reveals our sin. Jesus saves us from our sin. Amen? Amen. Father God, this morning I pray that you will encourage, love, convict, and teach your children. Father God, I pray that we will consider your word this afternoon. Lord God, I pray that if there's one who cannot rest until they confess their sins, Lord God, and call on you for salvation, I pray that they will do that today. And we are grateful for your word, your Holy Spirit, and the truth of the love of Jesus, in whose name we pray today. Amen.